Well, tonight we come to the next figure in our church history series, and it is that of Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry, I'll be honest with you, I've admired his work, his commentary for many, many years. He's an exceptional uh, expositor of the scriptures, but I didn't find out until very recently how difficult of a life he had and how much that the man suffered which I'm sure that many people who lived in the same time period suffered much the same, but uh, still yet, it's pretty significant to see how the Lord used this man in spite of all that he endured. We'll start by a quote from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry said, What God requires of us, He Himself works in us, or it is not done. He that commands faith, Holiness and love creates them by the power of His grace going along with His Word that He may have all the praise. So Matthew Henry utterly convinced that if there's to be anything good in us, it is by the grace of God alongside His Word. And then one scripture to consider together at the beginning and we'll revisit at the end is 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2 verses 15 through 21 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. It's a relevant scripture with the emphasis there on upholding the word of God and how focused Matthew Henry was during his life on upholding the scriptures and how useful of a servant to the master that Matthew Henry has turned out to be. So the first question we ask is who was Matthew Henry? Matthew Henry was born in Wales in 1662. He was born prematurely and would endure various sicknesses as a young boy and then on even into adulthood. He had many physical issues that he dealt with, sicknesses and other things. And although he was often sick when he was young, it did not prevent him from excelling in his academic pursuits. Matthew Henry's father, Philip, was a nonconformist pastor minister in the Church of England, and he was ejected from the Anglican Church right before Matthew Henry was born because there was a, basically there was a, a law passed concerning uniformity in the Anglican Church. A big issue of that day, there was the, those who were com- committed to uniformity in the churches, and then there was the nonconformists. And his father would have been a nonconformist. Matthew Henry was a nonconformist as well. It's been reported that Matthew's father had access to a sizable amount of financial resources. 
And although he'd been ejected from the church officially, he was still able to provide a good education for his son. This next thought is staggering. Matthew Henry was able to write in Latin and read a measure of Greek by the age of nine. Nine years old, raised, he was born in Wales, he spent most of his life actually in England, but by the age of nine, he could write in Latin and read in Greek, at least a good portion of the Greek New Testament, that is. Much of his early education was related to religious studies, and he would go on to study law for a short period and considered a career in the legal field, but ultimately he decided to focus his attention on theology. It's not exactly certain whenever Matthew Henry came to be converted himself. He was baptized as an infant. His dad was a part of the what became the Presbyterian uh, Church in England. Uh, he would have been considered Presbyterian and he was baptized as a baby. And I'm not exactly sure when he was converted, but by the time he reached adulthood, he had come to his own conviction about the truth of Christ and would go on from there into a life of ministry. Matthew Henry was invited to plant a church as a pastor in Chester, England in 1686. And he was reluctant at first, but he eventually accepted and was ordained in 1687. He would later, uh, in 1687, marry his first wife, Catherine. Now this is where it begins to get a little bit tragic. This is where we begin to probably take much for granted in the age in which we live. Matthew Henry's first wife, Catherine, she gave birth to their first child um, shortly after they married, and then she died almost immediately after giving birth to their first child. The child lived for 15 months and then died in infancy. So Matthew Henry's first wife, as soon as he's been ordained into the church, his first wife dies and then his first baby dies shortly after. Matthew Henry remarried a year after his first wife passed, and then both his second and third child died in infancy. And then in 1694, he would have a daughter who lived to adulthood and then lose another, yet another child in infancy in 1698 of measles. And then they would go on to have five more children together who would survive to adulthood. So if you're doing the math there, his first three children died. Then he had a child who lived, and then his fourth child died in infancy, and then they had five more. So they had six living children, four that died in infancy, and his first wife died in infancy. And he was riddled with illness and difficulty his entire life as well. Between smallpox and measles and other diseases, these were people who grew up in a different world than we do. The, the medicine advances and medicine that we have and technology the child infancy death rate was extraordinarily high at the time that he lived for various reasons. But the point in all of that is that he had much difficulty and sorrow in his life. After taking the church in 1687, years went by and pretty quickly by 1699, this church that he planted was forced to build a new building to accommodate the large number of people that were regularly gathered. He was known as a passionate preacher, and it's interesting to note this, his health often suffered because of the extreme force that he used when preaching. 
Now, I can relate to that. I know there have been times where I've been really wound up about something, really preaching hard, and all of a sudden I feel like my throat just collapses on itself. And it's just it's painful. It stings your throat. You're, you're so moved by what you're saying. You're throwing your all into it. Well, he had other health issues, but he would push himself to the limits in his preaching. But more than that, he was committed to an expositional approach to preaching, dealing with specific verses in their context one at a time. And that pattern of expository preaching would lead to his most notable achievements, which are contained in his commentaries of both the Old and New Testament. The second thing, that's who he was, that was Matthew Henry. The second thing is what was the state of the church during the life of Matthew Henry? State of the church during his life, and particularly in Europe, was a flame of burning development, largely as a result of the Reformation. This is not far removed from the Protestant Reformation, and the Puritan fire that was produced through that Protestant Reformation was still spreading throughout England and other parts of Europe. Some of the prominent issues of the day would have been centered upon disagreements within the Roman Catholic Church and against the Roman Catholic Church, as well as divisions concerning, as I mentioned, the uniformity within the Anglican Church. You might remember the last history lesson we did was having to do with, um, with John Bunyan. And he faced a similar issue, that he faced imprisonment because he was a nonconformist and a Baptist. He didn't conform to the Anglican Church, and so he wasn't, his preaching wasn't approved of. Um, and in a similar way, that was one of the hot issues in this day. Although, although Matthew Henry wasn't a Baptist, he was a nonconformist. And it's interesting, just a historical aside, it was during the early part of Matthew Henry's life and ministry you remember he was ordained in 87, 1687, and shortly after that, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689 was adopted, which we're going through now in our Sunday school hour. And one of the main reasons that the 1689 was adopted, you see there was a 1644, and then it was revised, the 1646 Baptist Confession of Faith, which probably everyone in this room would agree with. It's a very good document. And, but the, there was a lot of opposition against Baptists and Baptists, particular Baptists as they were called, were associated much of the time with the Anabaptists. And there was a negative reputation against Baptists in general because of the Anabaptists. So in 1689, they adopted and began using this, uh, this new document that was modeled much after the Westminster Confession of Faith in order to try to do away with some of those, those negative attitudes towards Baptists. And the last thing as far as the state of the church during his life is that the revival that resulted from the Protestant Reformation was still in full effect. And Matthew Henry, among others, served as a significant tool of the Lord during this time. The third question we ask is what impact did Matthew Henry have upon the church? And as I noted before, Matthew Henry had a significant impact as a preacher. And I believe that his biblical exposition, his fiery sermons that often drew large crowds of people would have landed him a significant role in the history of the church, even if we didn't have the commentaries that he wrote. And yet we do. Matthew Henry, with an apparent disregard for his poor health, was known to herald the truth with really a kind of the passion of a wild animal. He was so forceful in his delivery and yet so calculated in his exposition. Taking the truth of God, seeing it clearly in the text, 
and then roaring as he declared it without concern of what it was doing to him. Much of his life was marked by suffering, death, and loss within his family, and yet he remained dedicated until his dying day to the study of Scripture and ministry to others. And while value, there's much value could be measured by these things, and they are significant, his most, unquestionably, his most lasting impact has come through the commentaries that he compiled. And there are many, many godly men throughout the ages that have been helped and benefited through the labors of Matthew Henry and his commentary, his exposition of the Scriptures. Two notable figures, one of them, uh, actually both of them will go on to consider, um, is Charles Spurgeon and George Whitfield, both placed an extremely high value on Matthew Henry's work. And they often used his commentary in their own preparation and labors to preach. I've heard it said that George Whitfield carried nothing with him whenever he would travel as an evangelist preaching, that Whitfield only took two things with him. He would ride a horse up and down the eastern seaboard preaching at every town he came to. And as far as his preaching materials, all he had was his Bible and a Matthew Henry commentary. It's said that he would sit on his knees in the room of the house he was staying at from time to time with his Matthew Henry commentary open before him, praying to God, studying the Scriptures with the help of Matthew Henry. Spurgeon had likewise high regard for Matthew Henry's commentary. And even until today, all these years later, it remains a treasured resource for many preachers, myself included. And I'll say this to you all, that apart from his position on infant baptism as a Presbyterian, I find Matthew Henry's commentary to be as insightful and trustworthy as any other commentary I've read. You might argue that Charles Spurgeon's commentary that's contained in the Treasury of David, as it's called, on the Psalms, is, is very good. And there are other people who have done very excellent works from John Gill and, and, and different ones. But I commend to you to look into Matthew Henry's commentary. If you're looking for a helpful guide, Matthew Henry's commentary, what sets it apart in many ways, as far as I can tell, is that he was constantly appealing to and looking for Christ everywhere he's in the text. He's constantly the gospel and bringing living application. His commentary is not just a typical commentary, which is going to kind of explain a little bit to you of what's going on, but he's constantly cross-referencing and applying and appealing. I don't know of another commentary that's brought more conviction to me in just reading it. Almost as though I was listening to a sermon while I read it. And so I highly, highly encourage you to look into Matthew Henry's commentary. The fourth question is, what of the death of Matthew Henry? The death of Matthew Henry is neither dramatic nor awe-inspiring, except to note that eight years before he died, he was said to have been preaching one time and he fainted in the middle of a sermon. I've literally had a nightmare of falling asleep preaching. I literally woke up terrified, wondering if anybody noticed. Well, evidently Matthew Henry fainted during a sermon due to illness and fatigue. And then a moment later, he snapped to and then continued on in his sermon as soon as he came back to himself and became conscious once again. So that is somewhat noteworthy as to the issues of illness he was facing. In addition to this, he was thrown from his horse the day before he died. He's traveling. He had a preaching engagement scheduled and he's traveling and he was thrown from his horse. And then after he was thrown, he had himself looked at to see if he was OK and he was committed. They wanted him to stop those who traveled with him. 
But he insisted on continuing on to preach. But before they arrived at the destination, he fell so severely ill that they had to stop. And then he would go on to die the very next day of what they found out was a ruptured organ. And so something in that accident, he had severe health issues. But even in that, if you're dying, bleeding out on the inside, and all you can say is, I'm going to preach, uh, that's a significant testimony of his commitment to serve the Lord in that way. And then finally, the fifth thing we consider is, how should the life of Matthew Henry impact us today? And I've beat this horse a number of times. I can hardly recommend another commentary of the Scriptures over that of Matthew Henry. He was constantly appealing to the biblical gospel in every text. And that is as refreshing to your soul as it is useful in preparation to teach and minister to others. And there is a wonderful benefit in employing the diligent labors of those who have gone before, using the labors of those who have gone before in our pursuit to rightly divide the Scriptures. And we as well ought to be those who are pursuing a greater knowledge of God and His Word. That's the emphasis, rightly dividing His Word. A workman that doesn't need to be put to shame. One who's approved by God. That was our Scripture. And seeing that, we ought to be pursuing a greater understanding of God and His Word. And this is something that occurred to me. It's easy to honor and to appreciate men who've gone before, from John Gill to Matthew Henry and a host of others, Spurgeon. It's easy to admire those figures. But you know, if these men who had next to nothing as it relates to technology, electricity, resources, oftentimes writing with a quill and ink pen and laboring over these texts and keeping them in scrolls that they would roll up oftentimes, not having the same access to materials and technology that we have, if they were as complacent as many of us are in their pursuit of God and His Word, then the resources we have today would either be severely lacking, if not entirely non-existent. And so with that in mind, I want to read once again our text from 2 Timothy a lot of his life and how the Lord has used him. 2 Timothy 2, 15 and on says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This is something I believe should compel us to consider deeply the legacy that we're leaving. Even seeing all the younger ones here this evening, I think about this. What sort of a legacy are we leaving to those who are going to come after us? We take so much for granted in the access that we have to these great resources and commentaries. And I pray that God might use us and equip us to be useful and honorable vessels.
for him and for his glory, that we might serve the master of the house well. And so, that's all I have on this particular lesson this evening. And so if you'll bow with me, we'll close this in prayer and we can gather together for corporate time of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for your faithfulness to your church throughout the ages, for the voices of those who have gone before, for your faithfulness in the life of Matthew Henry, for the suffering that he endured and the insights that you gave him by your Holy Spirit to understand and rightly divide the scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would continue that work in us today, continue to stir us in our hearts to know your word, to rightly divide it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.